The Fantasy Focus Football Podcast is presented by GEICO. Whether you rent or own, GEICO makes it easy to bundle home and auto insurance. Go to GEICO.com today. Fantasy, you're in the home 6010. Focus. Fantasy. Fantasy. Focus. Welcome into Marathon Monday. That is right. We're running 26.2 miles. Not quite. Not quite. Field, Stefania, and Mike Clay in for Matthew Berry. Matthew, for those of you that may not know because you've been living under a rock, is going to be on television for 28 straight hours. That seems perilous to me. But then again, I question a lot of things that Matthew does. Tonight, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Matthew and Adam Schefter, who to my knowledge does not sleep as it is, will be on TV for 28 straight hours. Welcome to Marathon Monday. And Mike, Welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. I haven't been on since uh, Detroit, since so we Detroit. were literally in another state the last time I was on. So actually, that wasn't too long ago. Right? Uh, th- so, that's uh, right. It was but, only a couple yeah. of weeks ago. But that felt still <clears throat> like the off season. Now I feel like we're really ramping it up. Right? Like now it's go time. Yeah, we updated depth charts. Mike's done like six thousand projections. Oh, I yes. know. You know what? I have a request request from okay. somebody who who values your projections. Okay. Can you can you print them out and blow them up for those of us who can't read like the itty bitty font that you put them in? <laughs> Um, I, if I could fit them all on a page that would fit on a screen, I would gladly do that. But uh, I just want I'm always like the, the Reader's Digest extra large. Let's print. just say we're working on something. Okay, okay. we're working. We're working well, I like on, that. I like it. So teaser. we are working on Mike's teaser. updated projections. Those will be sweet. We mean updated, not as in like you know like more information, as in like reformatted, which is good news. We've got a double trouble coming up today. We've got the Saints. We've got the Panthers. NFC South preview begins. Fantasy Football Marathon, again, 6 p.m., goes until 10 p.m. tomorrow night. However, part of that marathon will be this very show, the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast, and we are not talking about your traditional Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. Daniel Dopp, has something gotten into the powers that be at ESPN because they are throwing us on linear television for an hour tomorrow, are 5 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2. Somebody should have told me if that's what they decided to do. Have you guys been preparing for the show? Not a bit. Oh. We're right on par. Yeah, uh, I do the daily wager, so I'm pretty. I'm ready for. Okay, Fantasy news from the National Football League. This is the instant, instant replay. Well, I guess since you have your own other TV show that you do, you're just gracing us with your presence. Well, I'm, Daniel just told me while that sounder was playing that I'm now not on the show tomorrow. So, <laughs> oh yeah. Dan, by the way, Mike, yeah, you've been demoted. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, Mike Clay, for joining us today, making some time for us during an otherwise busy daily wager schedule. In one week from tomorrow, we're doing one other cool thing. We're going to New York for a live show. It's going to be at the Hard Rock Cafe in Times Square. Again, the event of the summer in New York City. When we met this morning, early this morning, I was told there was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 15 tickets remaining. 15 tickets, that's it. They are going off, they're flying off the shelves. Daniel, remind me one more time. Ticketweb.com, is that correct? Ticketweb.com, you can search ESPN or Fantasy Focus. So one of those two uh, keywords, plug it into Ticketweb.com. You'll find out what you need to know. You'll get a ticket. You'll have a blast. The last time we went to New York City was last year. We had an awesome time. Every year, it slays in New York City. Now, we must get to the most bizarre and hilarious and perhaps ridiculous story that I can imagine. Sometime around Friday afternoon, let me paint you a picture, actually. I was walking over, uh, meeting my, meeting Chapin in Vermont. She was rehearsing to be part of a wedding. I was going over to meet the wedding party. You guys are, like, 
perennial wedding guest. That's what guest. we do. We yeah, like the wedding. We're you're America's right, wedding guest. No big are. deal. And you well, I'm walking over time. to meet her as I am, as because I'm <clears> going to meet her from to go from the rehearsal to the rehearsal dinner. And I get a notification on my phone from Ann, from Adam Schefter. Antonio Brown is threatening to retire over a helmet issue. Now, about 30 seconds later, I went out of service. We're in the sticks of Vermont. Sometimes, you know, Verizon doesn't travel as far as you might want it to in Vermont, NBD. So I'm like sitting there left hanging in the balance for like 45 minutes until we get back into service. But that's the headline. Antonio Brown, the same guy who has frostbite, the same guy who has not yet practiced for the Raiders since training camp began. He is threatening retirement if the NFL does not allow him to utilize the helmet that he has been using throughout the entirety of his nine-year career. Antonio Brown, yes, may have actually gone and painted his old helmet to try to cover it up. Twitter was amazing. It was a field day for Twitter. It was a field day. So, (laughs) Stefania, I know here's here is sort of the timeline of events. On Friday, we learn he will not play football again, Antonio Brown, if the league doesn't let him wear his helmet. On Saturday, John Gruden says, whatever his decision is, we'll stand by him. We are confident he's going to be a huge factor for the Raiders for years to come. On Sunday, Brown plans on holding the NFL liable if he suffers a head injury. Mm. Those are all of the headlines. Stefania, I'll start with you to get a little bit more context on this, and then we'll talk with Mike about sort of what it means for his draft value. Yeah, there was one more element in the timeline, which is that he had a hearing with an independent arbiter. There were representatives from the league on the phone and and, and uh, Brown and his reps and basically to discuss this and were awaiting a decision. I, I don't expect the decision to land in his favor, and I'll give you the background as to why. Uh, all helmets that are used on an NFL field have to be Noxie certified. This is something that's been on the books for multiple years. This is not new. Noxie is a, an independent body. It's not part of the league. National Operating Committee on Standards for Athletic Equipment. They certify, in addition to NFL football helmets, all the NCAA helmets you see, lacrosse helmets, face guards, shin guards, you name it. They certify uh, equipment based on standards that it has to meet to be eligible to put on the field, to use in the field of play. So if you have a helmet that is not Noxie certified, you can't use it to begin with. And helmets older than 10 years uh, they they are not recertified, and therefore it wouldn't fall into the category of helmets that the league would even test with this testing that they've begun in the last few years. So that's number one. That said, the NFL and the NFLPA have been collaborating on a project to test helmets, safety test them. And essentially what they've done, they have an independent lab in Canada that puts helmets through not only linear impact, but rotational, accelerational, and then see how they perform. And there is a grid based on how those helmets have performed and kind of like the the street light colors, green, yellow, red. The helmets that perform the worst are in the red area and are thus prohibited from being used. When this data was first released in 2018, veterans were given one year to move from a red helmet into one of the yellow or green. Tom Brady's done it. Aaron Rodgers has done it. Antonio Brown says he doesn't want to do it. As far as I am aware, he's the only player who's refusing to change the helmet. So this is not new. Uh, my question was, you know, here the team is sort of being held hostage by this, but this is not a new rule or new decision. So in addition to the lab testing, they've looked at how the helmets have performed on the field and the helmets that have performed in the, uh, by the, the helmets are all tagged. And basically they've associated that with concussion injury. The helmets perform the worst there correlate with the ones performed worse in the lab. There's your evidence. 
Uh, you can you can decide how you feel about that, but the bottom line is that how that's how the helmet rules came about. All right, so Mike, let's talk about this because throughout the course of preseason, there are a variety of different threats. Guys are banged up. Guys are getting limited reps. Guys are buried on the depth chart. Whatever the situation might be, guys are threatening retirement because of the helmet. So invariably, you're going to draft players that have some level of risk with them. Um, it sounds like. Per, per reports around Oakland right now, that Antonio Brown is near a return to the field because of the foot issue, less of a threat than we may have perceived it to be about a week ago. Does this helmet saga impact the way that you evaluate Antonio Brown for this season, or are you just imagining that, you know something, when the games begin in less than a month now, four weeks from tonight, by as a matter of fact, for the Raiders, that, like, it's Antonio freaking Brown. Like, at some point, the guy's going to show up, and at some point, remember, this is still one of the most talented wide receivers to ever play the game. That's exactly right, and I think once he... uh, First of all, I'm assuming he's still going to show up for week one, as of right now. The dude's not coughing up $30 million guaranteed. Exactly, so I have not really moved the needle too much. Now, he has missed a lot of time. He's had the foot injuries. Obviously, there's a little drama here, so I did knock his target share down. Just a tiny bit, like one percentage point. Okay, so he, I put him behind a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, for example, but I have him at wide receiver eight. So I'm not overreacting just yet. I'll keep an eye on this. Obviously, uh, this stuff is always changing. I'm tweaking projections every day, and we'll keep an eye on the news here. But as of now, I, I saw him at 99 catches and eight touchdowns, right? He's still going to be a wide receiver one as far as I'm let, concerned. Let me ask you this, though. Does it not change for either one of you the fact that, let's say he, at the last minute, decides, fine, I'll come and play. And it's week one, and he and Derek Carr really have not practiced together because the foot kept him off at first, the helmet, what what have you. Does that not affect anything? I'm trying to think about recent examples, and one that comes to mind is Amari Cooper. Talent rises. Like, at some point, like, we can talk about reps, we can talk about chemistry and things like that, but when Amari Cooper is clearly way better than any wide receiver the Cowboys had, he took him one week of practice, not even, to get really good with Dak Prescott. With Antonio Brown and Derek Carr, not really... Here's how I'm using it personally. I'm using it as a tiebreaker. If you're sitting there on the fence and you can't decide between Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster, go ahead. Pick up Juju. Like I'm not letting it define the way that I'm going to address and draft Antonio Brown this year. Right. And some some offenses, when you're looking through the roster and trying to you know, project out where the targets are going to go or carries. It's hard to do, right? You just have a lot of mouths to feed. You can't find enough. It's not that hard with the Raiders. Like, I know they brought in a lot of players, but, you know, how nuts are we going to go on Darren Waller or Hunter Renfro in the slot potentially? Like, they could get get these guys involved, Jalen Rashard in the backfield, but there's plenty of room for Antonio Brown to push for a 30% target share pretty early. So let's, let's, well, let's just explore the hypothetical because it's not just useful if Antonio Brown does, for some reason, actually sit out games. But in case something happens to Antonio Brown during the season, we've seen him miss games. Small sample size, but we have seen him miss a couple of games over the past few years. Tyrell Williams has sort of generated some steam during this time, right? I mean, Tyrell Williams, four years, $44 million. Not insignificant amount of money. I don't say he's buried in the Chargers depth chart, but when you're playing next to Keenan Allen, you're kind of the understudy. Uh, Tyrell Williams, if something caps to Antonio Brown, and perhaps even if Antonio Brown does play Mike, maybe some value there. Being drafted on average right now, wide receiver 53, talented, fast dude. Yeah, I think he, as he's being drafted right now, is probably a little bit of a value, even assuming Antonio Brown is ready to go for the yeah. season. But um, I do worry a little bit about his ceiling that you mentioned buried in, in with the Chargers. And I, you know, he was their number two and he played every down. In fact, over the past two seasons, actually never in his career, he's finished top 20 in targets. But the past two seasons, he hasn't missed a game. He's finished wide receiver 45 and wide receiver 48 in fantasy points, and that's despite being one of the most efficient receivers in the league. So, yes, his target share could go up. He could finally get that volume if Brown is out, but 
I, I just think he's he's been limited so far. You like know, him he, a lot in a best ball league. He'll yeah, have some yeah, weeks more, where he'll go for bust. four for 125 and a touchdown. But it probably to your point, I mean, the, the volume has probably been capped for a reason, right? I mean, uh, I, don't know, I don't know about limited route tree, but most effective down the field. And the reality is, is the further you throw the football, generally speaking, the less efficient of a pass it is. And Tyro Williams, with Derek Carr as his quarterback, will be more featured, but still not enough to make him a... Uh, uh, I'm not. not I would say wide receiver one. three. If Brown's out, I would say wide receiver three. No, for sure. Maybe he could sneak into the top twenty, but I won't yeah. go much further. Okay, fair enough on that. Uh, the Raiders, as we know, have been a huge part of the narrative this summer, in part because they are on hard knocks. The training <laughs> camp with the Oakland Raiders will be the 14th edition, or it is the 14th edition of the 18-time Sports Emmy winning series. This series will chronicle head coach John Gruden entering his second season leading the team assistant coaches, and players throughout training camp and the preseason. A 30-person NFL Films crew will be in Raiders training camp in Napa Valley. Mm, Nice place to be. Shooting more than 1,750 hours of footage over the course of the series. Camera and sound crews will have an unencumbered access to players and coaches' meeting rooms, training rooms, living quarters, and practice fields. Hard Knocks, for those who don't know, launched with the Ravens in 2001, followed by the Dallas Cowboys in 2002, and resumed in 2007 with the Kansas City Chiefs, subsequently spotlighting the Cowboys again in 2008, the Bengals in 2009, the Jets in 2010, Dolphins 2012, Bengals 2013, Falcons in 2014, the Texans in 2015, and the Rams in 2016. The widely acclaimed series on the Cleveland Browns in 2018 earned two Sports Emmy Awards for production excellence. Hard Knocks has won a Sports Emmy every year it has aired since 2008. Talk about consistency. Seven of the last nine teams featured in Hard Knocks have equaled or improved their win-loss record in the regular season. The Cleveland Browns launched the transformation of their organization last summer on HBO and went from a winless season to coming within a half game, 7-8-1, of a 500 campaign. Everybody wants to be a Raider. Now they'll (laughs) find out what it takes to become one, said Raiders owner Mark Davis. Love the live read. Honestly, we could all just sit here and tell you, Hard Knocks is the bomb. Everybody here loves Hard Knocks. If you're not watching, you're missing out. Gotta Join admit, the football they just conversation. Got a lot of good material. They sure did. <laughs> I mean, if you're listen, yeah. so here's I mean, the plan. You ready? Here's a little itinerary for you. Tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time, you turn on the tube to ESPN or the ESPN app, wherever you get your content. You watch for 28 straight hours. 28 straight. Get a little coffee. You'll be able to make it through. 10 p.m. rolls around tomorrow night. You watch Hard Knocks. That's a 29-hour marathon that I'm all the way in on. All right, Antonio Brown will certainly be a story. We'll keep you updated on that because I'd imagine at some point we'll get a ruling in his helmet this week, and I imagine at some point soon he'll be back on the field. In the meantime, time now for some Double Trouble. Double Trouble. Double Double Trouble. Trouble. Double trouble. Double Double Trouble. Double Trouble. As of this moment, they're on double secret probation. Going down to the bayou, New Orleans Saints, of course, came within a defensive pass interference call, perhaps, of making the Super Bowl last season. Vegas projects them for 10.5 wins. Wow, Vegas trying to steal Mike Clay's thunder. You can take it up with the strip if you so choose. Uh, well, he's they, on Daily Wager Field. Yeah. So, uh, so he I can will. Yeah, you, so so he I, can. I very Mike much will. will. <laughs> uh, Vegas has him at 10.5 wins. They've been over this number in consecutive seasons and six times since Drew Brees was signed away from the then- San Diego Chargers. I'm at 10.7, by the way, so they're way off on this one. Okay, Mike (laughs) in Vegas at odds once again. I see what you did there. Let's. (laughs) 
that professional. Was, yeah, professional. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Drew Brees. Let's start right there because, Mike, you and I have him at quarterback. I have him at 11. You have a quarterback 10. There's actually a couple, a few spots behind where he's being drafted, which is quarterback 7. Which makes you wonder, right? I mean, Drew Brees is remarkable. First ballot Hall of Famer, one of the, I, I would say, 10 best quarterbacks of all time. Perhaps the most accurate quarterback to ever play the game in terms of precision and pinpointness, if I can make a word up. Awesome year last year, especially through 12 games. However, maybe, is he being overdrafted a bit because of what we saw through the first three quarters of last season? Absolutely. Or maybe the first 95% of his career, right? I mean, absolutely. This is a, look, the Saints have a defense now. They didn't always have a defense. In fact, they had some historically bad defenses, and that showed up in Breeze's pass attempts and certainly in his fantasy production. Look, six top 10 fantasy weeks last season total. He finished outside the top seven in fantasy points for the season for the second year in a row. Actually, last season, outside the top 10 in pass attempts, completions, and yards for the first time in over a decade. So listen, he still is an elite player. The Saints, it's funny we're starting with them because uh, they're my Super Bowl pick this year. I think they're going to be tremendous on both sides of the ball, but his fantasy ceiling is not what it used to be. He's just not going to get that volume. Anymore. I I also think, you know, he's more efficient now, but they uh, it's also due to the run game. You know, you have running backs who can catch passes as well. So shorter passes, more volume, more efficient for him, um, but less yardage. So fewer fantasy points. Yeah, Mike, you mentioned that uh, top, out of, outside of the top 10, is that what it was, uh, in pass attempts for the first time? As Kyle decade, notes, yeah. uh, two, 2012, 2016, his pass attempts per game, 41.51 over the past two seasons, which correlates with, remember the defense got good after week three of the 2017 regular season? So over the past two years, Drew Brees' pass attempts per game, 33.06 pass attempts, down eight and a half attempts from where he was during the five seasons preceding it. We love Drew Brees. Again, if you end up with Drew Brees as your starting quarterback, we are not besmirching your team. We are simply highlighting some ways in which his upside may be tapped a little bit relative to guys who are going further behind him, Baker Mayfield, Carson Wentz included. One more thing on Drew Brees. As we know, the Saints, they play well at home almost always. Drew Brees seems to be even more otherworldly at home than on the road, which the numbers bear out last year. 25.2 points per game, 322 passing yards, three passing touchdowns per game. On the road last year. All right, so again, 321 passing yards, three passing touchdowns. On the road, 218 passing yards per game and 1.38 passing touchdowns per game. Whether it's the outdoor atmosphere they play in, both in Carolina and also Tampa Bay, and also the six other, I'm sorry, the five other road games they have. Of course, Atlanta is, is inside every year. Um, it just seems like the home road split is a thing. There are very, some quarterbacks can break the trend like Big Ben last year, but it seems to be a thing for Drew Brees. I also think there's one more thing, which is he's done remarkably with the shoulder. You know, had that injury back in San Diego and you've sort of forgot about how bad that was. People who mm-hmm. thought he'd never play football again, but he has a damaged rotator cuff and he's been remarkable despite that. But I was really interested in how much is he going downfield. And I think I found his average depth of target is like fourth lowest in the NFL last year. Mm. So I think this shorter passes is also a way to sustain your career when you're a guy with an older shoulder. Sure. Yeah, I'm generally okay with quarterbacks average depth of target being shorter in fantasy because it typically correlates with plenty of yards after the catch. Right. And mm-hmm. just as we saw with you know Patrick Mahomes last year, amazing. Right. Don't misconstrue that. But there were also some incredible big plays that were. But I think that's what we've of, thought of Drew Brees is yeah. being able to get it down the field, and he's just not doing it as much so, anymore. Again, no issue with Drew Brees as your uh, starting quarterback going into the season. I would just say that if people are using a 
premier quarterback pick, like a top five selection on Drew Brees, there might be other options that present even more upside. I want to give you a list of all the players in NFL history, every single one of them, that have consecutive seasons with 700-plus rushing yards and 700-plus receiving yards. Marshall Falk, who did it for four straight years because he's ridiculous. Herschel Walker, who could probably (laughs) still bench press 225 50 (laughs) times today. He did it from 86 and then again in 87. The other player, Alvin Kamara. Been in the league for two years. Been a major factor for them in two straight years. The only question on Alvin Kamara is this. We love him. Mike, if you had 1.01, 1.01, the very first pick in the draft, how would you make the case to select Alvin Kamara? Well, I mean, you're putting me on this uh, in a weird spot because I'm taking Saquon Barkley there. Yeah, however, I understand. However, if you had to make the case. <laughs> yeah, if I had to make the case, well, you kind of just laid out how, how effective he's been in this high-scoring Saints offense. But, you know, last season, we saw his workload take a little bit of a step forward, right? Top eight in snaps, touches, scrimmage yards, offensive touchdowns with 18 fantasy points. And he also had the second highest OTD or expected touchdown total behind only some guy named Todd Gurley, meaning he was getting volume near the goal line. You like that a lot. Now, we're going to talk about Latavius Murray in a minute. He's obviously going to be involved in that area, but they throw to Kamara a ton, 81 catches each of his two seasons. The one area where he's kind of limited so far is as a ball carrier. He has not reached 200 carries yet in his career. I think he might get over that number this season, but I don't think he's going to fly past it. I mean, they've said that that first month last season, remember Mark Ingram was suspended and Kamara got a lot of this volume in, mm-hmm. the, in that first month. They said they're not doing that again. He's going to stay uh, in that role we saw after, you know, from week five on last season. So, uh, you know, nonetheless, that's enough. He's efficient enough. He's good enough. The offense is good enough. The offense runs enough that he can still be a top three, top two, perhaps the first overall scorer or top scorer in fantasy. So, I mean, I guess that's the case. I mean, <laughs> listen, here's what I would say is I don't think he will go and Daniel's going to chime in in the second here, but I, I doubt Kamara will go number one overall in many drafts other than mm-hmm. those that take place somewhere, you know, in the body, mm-hmm. right? But if you did, if I wouldn't, if, if someone did so, I would not, I would not mock them for taking Alvin Kamara number one overall. I think if you look at the players that are be considered for the number one pick, I think there are four, assuming Zeke Elliott returns before the season begins. Zeke, Kamara, Barkley, and Gurley. No doubt. Uh, I think you Gurley? would. I'm sorry. McCaffrey. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I know. I was I'm going to get to, to Todd Gurley here in a second. What I was going to say is that of those four offenses, I think we have the most implicit trust in the Saints to be scoring the most touchdowns. So back to your OTD idea, it's just like the running back that will be nearest to the end zone most frequently is Alvin Kamara. Daniel, what say you? I just, Kyle has one good stat on Kamara that is not positive and it's the only one out there. And I'm just curious, Mike, what your numbers say. Last year, he only had one of his 194 carries go for more than 20 yards. Like, that seems outrageous. Isn't that weird? Yeah, like, what? it's a weird stat for Alvin Kamara to have. Which is strange because, A, he's an outstanding kickoff return, man. They don't yeah. use him there anymore. But memory is, I think it was rookie season against Tampa Bay, and he doesn't look like he's running fast and he just glides right past everybody. And B, he's also in the passing game. What would he make of that? My thought would be regression to the mean. I mean, he's, we know he's good. Like sometimes yeah. you know he's he's a really good football player. You can yeah. see that in the numbers on the field. I mean, he has elite efficiency without big plays. I mean, I that's the sort thought. of number that you <laughs> well, get one extra block you could take off. I was going to say, my other thought is like he's awesome, not the most physical runner, and that you know he's not breaking tackles in the same way that Saquon Barkley is, or Zeke Elliott is breaking tackles, which yeah. sometimes 20-yard runs, as Mike said, are sprung by one good block or some poor tackling effort. 
I love Alvin Kamara, though. You take him number one overall, I'm good with it. The backup to Alvin Kamara usually carries some value because, as Sean Payton has made it clear, we're not going to necessarily ride Kamara harder just because we have no more Mark Ingram. They have a useful player in Latavius Murray who actually got a pretty decent contract this offseason. So the conversation surrounding most valuable handcuff running back, I think, in the NFL, taking away guys that are presently injured or guys like mm-hmm. Austin Eckler and whoever you believe the Cowboys backup to be because you know Melvin Gordon and Zeke are gone. Amongst the healthy running backs, is there a more valuable handcuff than Latavius Murray in the NFL? No. In fact, I ranked him 1-32 to 32 about a month ago in an article. He was number one for me. So How about I'm with that? you there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I totally agree with you. In fact, um, you know, he do we have a, an official running back of the podcast? Because he <laughs> um, is like the definition of mediocrity in terms of efficiency. Oh, like, wow. Like, you know, you're going with that like, one, Michael. I right? wasn't sure either, but... Right? Boy, I mean, look at cut to the table. Jordan Howard's been going, on the show together. You're calling with us. me mediocre. Yeah. Uh, who else has been on the show recently? Um, Howard's been on the show. Yeah, recently. I think that's been the only one that's like been a. Well, I love Jordan Howard. Well, Latavius Murray ain't coming on now. Well, yeah. no, I, I, I mean it's not a bad thing. I mean it's it's above it's bu- above replacement level, but it's just it's just consistency, right? His yards per carry the past four seasons has not dropped between three point nine or been above four point one three. Just the, the incredible consistency is also re- his receiving yardage have been very similar just following a a pretty straight line so far but the one area where he does stand out is scoring since i don't think people realize this since 2015 second in the nfl in rushing touchdowns with 32 he's fourth in rushing otd or expected touchdown total and fifth in carries inside the five and by the way last season the saints 33 carries inside the five that was four more than any other team this guy is that big back compliment he can push for, I'd say, I'm at 138 carries this season. He'll get a handful of targets as well. I think there is some standalone value here as a maybe a tw- in 12-teamers, maybe a borderline flex. And of, as you mentioned, an elite handcuff. So definitely mid-round value here. 29 years old, the guy that had light tread on the tires at the beginning of his career. Remember, everybody wanted him to be something in Oakland. Yep. Six foot, two and a half, 220 pounds. The guy runs like the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finally had a breakout moment on Thursday night against the Chiefs a few years ago when the Raiders upset Kansas City, goes to Minnesota, has a couple of reasonable seasons. Definitely a value, the Saints, to sort of further and that notion. By the way, he stepped up when Dalvin Cook was not yeah. able to. But, you know, if, if you're looking at it like, could he be, how valuable would he be if for some reason they were without Kamara? Uh, yeah. I think no. he's shown that well, already. And He'd be an RB1. The yeah. Saints certainly have uh, a tendency. They're not a, they want to, they have an excellent offensive line. It's physical and mauling. Number one in rushing touchdowns last year, third in overall rush percentage. Fourth in red zone rush percentage, fifth in rushes per game. They take a lot of snaps on offense because they're really good, and they find a way to run the football effectively. Latavius Murray, certainly a player that is draftable in all leagues. Mike Thomas, I think, by most people's standards, is also draftable in all (laughs) leagues. You know who has more catches than Mike Thomas through the first three years of his NFL career? No one? Nobody. Mike Thomas, absolutely insane. Last year, he had a league-high six games with 10 or more catches in 2018. Think about that. That's week winner for you yeah. in most cases. Like There were times where it was, I'm playing Mike Thomas, like just wave the white flag once the Saints game had concluded. Mike, you've got him at wide receiver three. I've got him at wide receiver four. His average draft position is wide receiver one. This is our first time having you on the show since we got going again last week. Do you sort of view, whereas in running backs... 
it feels like, again, assuming Zeke is there, it's a four-man tier and it's pretty clear. Do you feel as though with these wide receivers, they're somewhat interchangeable, somewhere between like one and six or seven? Because if you told me, again, Mike Thomas was your number one wide receiver this year, you know what I would say? Cool. He's pretty sweet. Yeah, I have Tyreek Hill sixth, and he was the top-scoring fantasy receiver last year. And right. there's no, I mean, there's no reason to really think he's going to fall off significantly, right? He's a, he's a workhorse in that offense. So you're right. Adams, Hopkins, Thomas, Jones, Beckham, and Hill. I can I have no issue with any of them going. Who's first. seventh for you? Who's right next? Seventh is Smith Schuster, and then Antonio Brown. Okay, right? I agree with that. Then, so those first six are the guys that you're kind of focusing in on. Any of them could be. And I heard Matthew. By the way, check out the Adam Schefter podcast. Mm-hmm. Matthew Barry was amongst the guests on there today, along with our friends Evan Silva and Adam Levitan. I heard Matthew make the case that like Odell Beckham Jr. could have. He just you know, he was saying it's not 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 banking on it, but like a scenario exists where Odell could have the single greatest fantasy wide receiver season ever. Six awesome targets at the top of draft board. So Mike Thomas, I mean, no issue with him going number one overall amongst wide receivers. The question is probably not where he best slots amongst wide receivers. The question for all those guys is probably where do you take them relative to the very tip of the top running backs? You know, like at what point do you go, is it pick four that you consider a wide receiver? Is it pick six? At what point do you begin the wide receiver train? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's somewhere right around the middle because we just listed all the running backs that we would have at the top with Alvin Kamara. And I think there's a drop-off after that point where I start going, you know what, now I'm looking at a top-wide receiver. If Michael Thomas yeah. is there, DeAndre Hopkins, like these are the guys I'm looking at. I'm I'm I, Middle of the round, I'd probably go with them. Yeah, uh, I think I'd probably around seven or eight would be where uh, I start with the wide receiver. Interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about it at four right now mm-hmm. just because you have you have Barkley, McCaffrey, and Kamara, and then you're uncertain on Zeke. So if you were like, maybe you got bit by Le'Veon Bell last season and you don't, want to draft him, maybe then you think about going to a DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams. Uh, I would probably take Zeke there. And then you have, it's kind of like David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell mm-hmm. is that next year. And you have to decide, you want to take that risk on a older a older running back, yeah. right? Uh, kind of coming <laughs> off a, a bizarre 2018 season, or do you want to pivot to a, it, it, it's a relative term. He had one year that he didn't actually play, basically, because yeah. he was hurt. Still, you know so, what I mean. I mean, yeah, I mean yeah, listen, I mean, Saquon's what twenty two. It's all relative. Twenty seven. So yeah, twenty seven is above average. Oh, for you're talking it, about Le'Veon being older. Well, they're the same age. Johnson and Bell are the same age. And Johnson I, I, was a late arrival to the NFL. Late arrival and missed a season. Yeah, yeah. And, but so. again, it's just it's relative. I'm just saying relative to these other guys, they're a little bit older and coming off bad 2018 seasons. So if you want to go, listen, you could easily <laughs> make the case that the top, the t- number one receiver is safer than a Bell. Or a Johnson or a running back altogether. So that's that's all I'm saying. We have this dartboard in this studio. I'm not sure what it's actually for. Does it belong to us? Is it belong to Will Kane? I don't know. It's over there. It's always closed, so you can't actually throw darts. But imagine you were if I gifted you a dart and you had the chance to throw it at somebody. Not at Matthew, at a player, like at a a player on the Saints who catches footballs, who plays wide receiver, that's not Michael Thomas. At what point do you do it? And who is the player that you most covet? Is it Traquan Smith? Ted Ginn Jr. It's, uh, I mean, somebody else. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's Traquan Smith for me, but here's my fear is that we're going to draft Traquan Smith. We're going to put him on our bench and then week by week three, it's going to be Ted Ginn again, yeah. just like last season. I mean, Ted Ginn put together two top 35 fantasy wide receiver seasons in three years. And last year was on, on pace for another wide receiver three year flex season before he got injured. Uh, Traquan flashed against my Eagles when they totally destroyed them in the regular season. Remember, he had 10 catches. 157 yards and a touchdown on 13 targets. And we thought, here it is. You know, this third round pick we all love, downfield threat, good size, 6-2. He's breaking out, and it just didn't happen after that. He kind of disappeared uh, again. So maybe he gets a shot this year. But I'll tell you what, 
Uh, Mike Triplett, who does an A plus job mm. covering this team, just Love he's Mike. he's struggling to get behind him. It seems like right? he, he just doesn't see that he he wants to caution fantasy owners. I think were were his words that he we all want him to break out, but he's not there just yet. So for me, just an end of bench dash. Right Wait, and by the way, Mike, who listens to the podcast daily, is a fantasy junkie. So right. when no he says, he's when always looking with that in mind. Yeah. Smart. Uh, one thing I'd say about uh, Ted Ginn when people are like, "Why Ted Ginn?" This is like not that, like this is basically surface level, but I don't think it's discussed enough is like the reason why Ted Ginn continues to play is like his value to the Saints extends beyond like the number of catches. Like the guy is flipping fast. Right. He's a big play guy too. Well, just every single snap, even you can run Ted Ginn straight down the field and that can change the way that the defense has to defend the other 10 players on your offense. Uh, So again, for fantasy purposes, not bending over backwards for Ted Ginn, I'm just mentioning why he continues to play as much as he does despite maddening drops and inconsistent production in the box score. Jared Cook, speaking of inconsistent (laughs) production, uh, was the Raiders' unquestioned MVP last year, according to John Gruden. Now, you can say that might be damning with faint praise. I'd agree with you. That being said, uh, he's entered a really, really nice role here in New Orleans because somebody needs to catch passes at the tight end spot. Mike, you've got him at tight end 7. I have him at tight end 6. His ADP amongst tight ends is also tight end seven. I think once you get past those top three tight ends, and maybe you can throw Evan Ingram in there, I think basically everybody else becomes a lot more dependent upon touchdowns and not catches, right? I mean, Hunter Henry, I can't imagine him going for 85 catches this year. I can't imagine Jared, I mean, I don't think Jared Cook will go for 85 catches. So how much confidence do you have in Jared Cook? Because although we do like the idea of him being a big play threat in this New Orleans offense, Kobe Fleener has been there before. Like, we've seen mm-hmm. the Saints double down on tight ends and not necessarily get what you wanted out of them. Well, we, we just talked about Mike Triplett, right? And he's gun shy on Traquan Smith. And he, you know, he still has, uh, you know, he's still a little gun shy after what happened with Fleener. Yep. He's in on Cook. You okay. know, he, he, right. he is going right. to have a yeah. tremendous season. And he, you know, he cautions himself. He's worried because of what happened with Fleener. He still loves the Cook situation here. Uh, look, Cook, and here's how I kind of uh, look at the tight end position you have Kelsey on his own tier, then you have Hertz and Kittle. And then that next three, I had Ingram, Henry, and Howard kind of in that tier. Cook's in that conversation now thing. I think he's right in that tier. So if you're looking at round six or seven to attack tight end, I think he's a perfectly fine target. Keep in mind, Cook has averaged a target share of 16 18% each of the past seven seasons. That's really hard to do to stay right in that little area. Seven straight seasons. If he hits that in New Orleans... He is a lock for tight end one numbers. It'll be impossible to get that much volume in this offense and not be a top 10 tight end. So uh, I, I like him. I, I think he's right in that mid tight end one conversation. 16 to 18%. So about a sixth of the targets. If Drew Brees attempts 650 targets, uh, 650 passes next year, over 100 targets in line for Jared Cook. Um, a reminder, Taysom Hill has quarterback eligibility only in ESPN fantasy leagues. If you're playing in the two fantasy two quarterback league, I would actually consider Taysom Hill ahead of some of the bottom tier quarterbacks that are starters that are actually going to get drafted this. Maybe not, but my point is this is make sure that if you're playing a two quarterback league and you get in a major pinch, just pick him up. Where fun uh trivia for you. Where did he align most last season? Where did most of his snaps come from? Um the slot? Tight end. Yeah, tight base, end. basically. Yeah, it was I mean, you could you could distinguish all of those. Most of them came at tight end, believe it or not. I was telling this to the guys before the show is as much as sometimes Taysom Hill can be maddening because first of all, Drew Brees is awesome. Second of all, like he's all over the place. It just looks you're you're not used to number 7. The people in the NFL love Taysom Hill because he makes a very he makes uh, a job very difficult for a defensive coordinator who's trying to decide 
Is he a running back? Is he a wide receiver? Is he a quarterback? Is he a flex? Taysom Hill, useful player. Um, one of the good things about Mike's role on the Daily Wager is that he he gets paid a ton of money to do so. He has a huge house. <laughs> Um, and for that huge house, he has just one way to protect it with ADT, which, Mike, I'd love for you to tell us more about right now. You're exactly right. Actually, I've had ADT for a long time, even when I lived in Pennsylvania. So uh, I, wow. I, I can understand why I'm reading this uh, live read right now, Daniel. I appreciate that. Uh, the Fantasy Football Podcast, of course, is brought to you by ADT. What does real protection mean for our listeners? Uh, well, it means a lot. You can get all of the latest innovation in smart home security from ADT combined with 24-7 monitoring from the most trusted name in home security. You get a team of professionals designing and installing a secure smart home just for you. Again, I was a pain. I moved. They had to do this multiple times, and they did an excellent job. You get 18,000 employees safeguarding you with connection to first responders. You get the nation's number one smart home security provider. You can get a secure smart home with everything from video doorbells, indoor and outdoor cameras, smart locks and lights, controlled from the ADT app or from the sound of your voice. You can get professionally monitored carbon monoxide and smoke detectors. I have those as well. You can get a system custom designed to fit your home. You can get safety on the go, in the car, or when the kids are at school with the ADT Go app with an SOS button. So, uh, yeah, that, that about wraps it up. Thanks, ATD, for sponsoring the podcast and for protecting my family. I have two little kids. I mean, I need the I need the protection. You when have that? Wait, wait, you have a six bedroom home <laughs> with a moat and two kids. I do. Isn't there some sort of equation that you're only allowed to have? Like you, you multiply your children by one and a half, and that's how many bedrooms you're allowed to have. Daniel? It's funny because I went to Mike's house the other day, and he actually has a bridge over top of a brook in his property. And Are I you was serious? like, yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, him and Matthew both have bridges at their homes. Like, how it's weird is that? Be, it's You know, it's good to be the King Clay. Before we get to the Panthers, just wanted to take a quick, indulgent moment to welcome back our friend, Ed Werder, to the ESPN family. Yay! If you missed it, go check it out. Ed has been all a right. longtime supporter of fantasy football. You'll see him all over the place, hopefully including fantasy football hopefully, now. I know, because there might be... I mean, he is just one of the best... At giving us those live reports on Sundays. Welcome Love back, it. Ed, and we'll be right back. All right, Vegas has the Panthers at 7.5 wins. They have gone over and under this number. For seven straight seasons. They were under last year. Injuries played a part in that. Mike, your Vegas win total for the Panthers, or whatever, your own win total for the Panthers is? 7.5. Not even joking. Right on the money. Wow. Right. So right Vegas is correct. Are you smarter than Vegas? So wow. you do not, t- see, this is, uh, since I'm a gambling expert now, right. which I'm yeah. totally not, by the way. I just right. do the projections. We compare them to the lines. But uh, you would not take this. You, you would stay away from this one because uh, there's going to be juice. So it's going to be like minus one. Oh, look at you. So you just stay away. See, I'm lingo. learning. Doug yeah, Kassirian yeah. is teaching me while I'm starting to learn all the lingo here. So you would stay away from this one because it's, they are, they're right on the money, I think. Okay, let's get to the Carolina Panthers and begin with Cam Newton. If you didn't listen to last Friday's podcast, you're a moron. Stefania returned. It was awesome. <laughs> all right. Stefania emptied out the notebook. The Cliff Notes version on Cam Newton's prognosis for this season because of that shoulder injury, Stefania, is... I expect him to have a bounce back season. And I, th- it, because what you saw last year was compensation for a shoulder that was hurting and he didn't have full range of motion. So people talk about these mechanics. Well, 
he literally could not get his arm over his head. They went in and cleaned up the joint. Now he has this beautiful range of motion. And really at this point, uh, I spoke with uh, Ryan Vermillion, who's their head athletic trainer down there. He said it's just a matter of building up his endurance for games. So you know they want to be able to have him look that good for four quarters and they want him to make smarter decisions. I think when we were discussing this last week, the takeaway was, yeah, we've heard this before. Like Cam's not going to run. He's still going to run. No, no, no. They've done that experiment. They want Cam to run and they expect him to run. They just want him to make smarter decisions when he does run. If this is not for a touchdown, like you don't need to dive with your arm outstretched. Be smart about it. Slide or get out of bounds. Uh, so I think that's what they're working on um, from that end in terms of decision making, but not trying to take away his run game by any means. So I think you're going to see and, and he's there's just something different. He is focused. He's quieter. He is. He went on a diet. He's been I mean, everything sounds like a more mature cam who understands that, hey, this can get taken away from you. And I do think uh, he's primed for a really good year. I really like him this year. So Cam Newton is we were talking about earlier about like maybe um, maybe Drew Brees is being a bit overdrafted because of the name and some of the things that we associate him with in fantasy football. I think it's possible that Cam Newton is being underdrafted right now. I've got him at quarterback five. You've got him at quarterback six, Mike. His ADP is now quarterback eight, close to Drew Brees and Carson Wentz. Now, I understand that there are very few quarterbacks that have been starting for eight straight years. But just to give you a picture of what Cam Newton has done in his eight seasons. He's had at least 90 rushing attempts and four touchdowns in all eight of his NFL seasons. So he averages 5.2 yards per carry. Off of his running alone, the floor is set at close to like an extra 75 points per season on top of whatever he gets as a passer. Meanwhile, last year he evolved in a significant way as a passer, by far his best year in terms of accuracy, Mike. Stefania likes what he brings to the table from a health standpoint how bullish are you on Cam Newton this season? Very. I think he's, especially if you're in a league where people are, are get, getting smarter and evolving into people who will wait a quarterback, this is an excellent target. QB8, I mean, if you're in a, a 10 or 12 team league, he's going to fall to the, potentially the double digit rounds at, in some drafts. And that's where I've landed him. And you mentioned that we talked a little bit earlier about it's okay to, to be more conservative throwing the ball and letting your, your playmakers make those plays. And last year he posted a career low average depth of throw at 7.3 career high in completion percentage from it's 68 percent who knew imagine that right five years ago a 68 percent completion percentage for cam newton mm-hmm. only off target 14 percent of the time both of those career highs and i'll tell you what the new plan worked uh, you know there's there's a lot here but I'll, I'll just give you a few of these when he got through week 13 remember he got hurt late in the late in the season yeah. so you just talked about that through week 13 he was third in fantasy points a quarterback he had two or more passing touchdowns in 11 straight games leading into week 14 the panthers were also the pass heaviest They've ever been during the Cam Newton era last season at 62%. And again, you kind of just touched on this, but even missing two games, still top five at the position in carries, rushing yards, and rushing touchdowns for the eighth consecutive season. The guy can do it all. I still think he has another season or three left of elite fantasy production. I think he's a great target uh, if you wait a quarterback. I'm with you as well. To borrow Matthew's uh, old line or his favorite saying is, by hook or by crook, Cam (laughs) Newton will find his way to fantasy relevance. You mentioned the completion percentage going way up last year. 67.9% of his passes completed his first year under Norv and Scott Turner. have done a great job. How about in the red zone specifically? Remember, in the red zone, reduced field, in some ways you can be more error-prone as a quarterback. 66.7% in the red zone, 
third most accurate quarterback in the red zone in 2018 behind only Drew Brees and Andrew Luck after being 27th in 2017. So good to see Cam Newton making so many strides like the value there going into this season. Now back to the player who pretty much doesn't need any introduction. Run CMC, Christian McCaffrey, running back two on Mike's board, running back two on my board, the second drafted running back based on ADP. His overall ADP is also second. This guy's unbelievable. Just when we thought, I mean, he was fun to watch his rookie season, but he was not a particularly efficient runner. Last mm-hmm. year, he just blistered all of the all of whatever sort of um, you know recaps you had from 2018 can't, or 2017. Can't break enough tackles, not powerful enough between the tackles. Uh, you know, the guy is just going to be too much of a big play in space guy, but not necessarily a grind out yard. No, Christian McCaffrey came back with a vengeance last season. No doubt. Five yards per carry, 2.1 after contact, which is more of a key number for me. That tells me that yep. he was better after initial contact, was able to, to elude some of those guys and, and make up yardage. So like that a lot, uh, played 97% of their snaps through week 16. He would have actually been the number one scoring running back if he didn't rest for about three quarters of that week 17 game. So he was right. obviously tremendous. Number one at running back in targets, receptions, and receiving yards. Five plus touchdown catches in both of his seasons. And as we know, his carry load increased last season. This is a good offense. As just mentioned, they scored two plus touchdowns every game through week 14 yeah. last Remember? season. That's why CJ Anderson was sitting there looking at like, uh, okay, because they, the yeah. plan was that they would rotate him in and then they just never wanted to take McCaffrey off the field. And they've kind of reiterated that. They are confirmed we like the ball in McCaffrey's hands. Ron Rivera said that. So I don't think that opportunity for him, you know, it's going to, it's going to be predominantly McCaffrey. I, I get it. People sometimes think we choose arbitrary thresholds, but here's a somewhat non-arbitrary <laughs> threshold. 80 catches. That's five catches per game. Five receiving touchdowns. That's hard to do. Amongst players with at least 80 catches and five receiving touchdowns in each of the past two seasons, there are one, two, three, four, five, six in total. Antonio Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Travis Kelsey, Mike Thomas. Those guys are all paid to catch the football. The other one is Christian McCaffrey, who also happens to run the ball for a living. As Kyle notes, last year, if you just took his receiving stats, evaporated the rushing stats, they went away into a fantasy football ether. He would have been wide receiver 16 in fantasy. <laughs> Amazing. How about Crazy. that? That is ridiculous. Wide receiver 16, if just taking his rush is uh, receiving stats, I'd imagine his rushing stats would account and put him up pretty close to like a top twenty-five running back. Um, yeah, and something season. that's so hard to quantify is quickness. Like I've tried to figure out like how can you measure that, and you really can't. But when you see a, a you see a guy who's as physical as he is, as he has proven that he can be by breaking tackles and quick, it's like he can be elusive and power at the same time. Here's Very where, unique. Here's where things get really interesting for Carolina is they've got a lot of young wide receivers that are intriguing. Specifically, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. The latter, Samuel turned, I believe, 23 yesterday. Happy birthday yeah. to Curtis Samuel. And also has been generating a lot of preseason hype. However, our ADPs and our rankings suggest that we are more in on Curtis Moore. We are more in on, I'm sorry, on DJ Moore. Excuse me. I am at 23. Mike has him at 23. Brilliant. Uh, and he's wide receiver 29 in terms of ADP. Mike, there's a lot for me to like in DJ Moore. The surface was just scratched last year. Touchdowns were elusive for him, but I anticipate the volume to go way up this season. 
Yeah, it gave me a Golden Tate sort of feel last season, right? I mean, you saw him promoted into a full-time role in Week 8. From that point forward, 6.2 targets and 4.2 catches per game was fantasy football's wide receiver 20 the rest of the way. But where did he stand out? A lot like Golden Tate. After the catch, 7.7 yards after the catch, that was best in the entire NFL at wide receiver. I mean, he was tremendous with the ball in his hands. However, again, like Golden Tate, only two touchdowns. And by the way, that was not a fluke. 2.2 expected touchdown total or OTD. Did not get the ball near the goal line. A guy we're about to talk to soaked up a lot of those. So we'll talk about that in a second. But also added 172 rushing yards, which offset uh, the lack of touchdown. So at the end of the day, remember, this guy was the first wide receiver picked in the 2018 draft. They have every reason to make him their number one. I think they'll give him an opportunity. I think the touchdown ceiling could be a little bit limited, just the way the way he's utilized. But at the end of the day, there's there's no doubt he can give you wide receiver two numbers. Uh, incredible time speed during his during his playing career at Maryland. It was reinforced during the combine. During the I think he might you know he might have not participated in the combine because he had that injury. But in any event, you knew he was fast. Last year we confirmed that he was fast. Here's a great stat that Kyle pulled. He led all receivers amongst yards per catch after the reception last year. So from the time that he caught the ball, on average, he gained an additional. 7.69 yards. Nearly a first down after every catch that he made last season. DJ Moore is explosive. He's fast. Cam Newton's improved as a passer. The touchdowns are going to improve this year, but it seems like there's more buzz this season amongst Curtis Samuels. Funny, was he generating some uh, some hype when you were down there in, was, uh, in Spartansburg? He was definitely generating hype. They love how he looks in camp this year, and I know we were talking before the show. It's like, well, good camp, good camp. We want to see it during the season, but don't forget... His rookie year, he had that ankle injury in week 10, then was placed on injured reserve. And then last year, he missed Heart the games issues. because of having a surgery to address an irregular heartbeat. So it's kind of unfair. He went from missing time at the end all the way through to starting late. And we haven't gotten to see a full season of Curtis Samuel. Talk about fast. This kid is fast. He's got blazing speed, four three one forty time. I think that Curtis Samuel has the chance to break out. And I think it makes it a tougher decision for me in terms of, Who's going to end up being the most most valuable in Carolina as, as wide receiver? Daniel's trying to put Kyle on the hot seat by passing along this stat. He's got 95 speed and 93 acceleration <laughs> in Madden NFL 20. So, Mike, a um, lot of people in the industry, respected voices, people that, whose 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 opinions we take with a lot of um, with it comes with stature and it comes with credence, are in on Curtis Samuel this year. I haven't watched I'm sure you in 38 in that group. Yeah, yeah, okay. Including Spagna. Uh, Mike has him at wide receiver 41. His ADP is 44. I think where I'm having a harder time seeing it is whereas I envision DJ Moore, I expect him to push for like 115 or 120 targets this year. I think Curtis Samuel might be more of a maybe like 80 to 90 target player. Yep, 84 for me plus 12 catches. So, uh, yeah, what's go. happened yeah. to you? Yeah. Right on the money. Projection <laughs> master. What can I say? That nerd. Hi, hashtag that nerd yeah. over that here. Nerd. That's right. Yeah. Came out of your mom's basement for that one. Anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Samuel, um, I'm actually a little bit lower than you guys, but I see the somewhat of the appeal. Here's the, the negatives here. 10 missed games so far. Obviously we have that. You just address that, uh, 54 catches in two seasons. That's where he, he's been limited. And again, year two is pretty much the breakout year for wide receivers. Wide receiver or year three is the, uh, the deadline, if you will, for most guys. So we'll see if he can turn the corner. The efficiency, not great so far. 59% catch rate, only 6.6 yards per target. Three yards after the catch uh, on average. So uh, you want to see better there. And also last season, I mentioned, you know, he had more work near the goal line 
Uh, then DJ Moore, four point four was his expected touchdown total. He had seven. Yeah. So he was way. He's a regression in the mean candidate if we've ever seen one. Likely to come back to earth. Uh, and you know he played over sixty percent of the snaps in five games. Was wide receiver thirty two. So I don't see the comparisons to to being on Moore's level in fantasy. Maybe he does take a leap forward. He gets more work downfield and gets a little bit more work near the goal line. But uh, I'm a little a little more hesitant than I others. think he's also playing with a different quarterback this year. You know, there was a window of time because Cam actually originally got hurt in the Eagles game. Not many people are really aware of that. And then when it got to the point where it was really bad, it was later in the season. So I. I think it, it, the the dynamic will change there in terms of wide receivers. You've got a healthy Curtis Samuel and a healthy Cam Newton throwing the ball. I think the downfield throws are going to increase this year. Uh, one more player on the on the Panthers' offense to keep an eye on this season is, of course, Greg Olson, who returned. Uh, Greg is going to be a very good analyst in his own right in the media when he decides to do that post-football. But for now, he remains a Panther. Mike, you've got him at tight end 15. I've got him at tight end 13. His ADP is tight end 13. So not being drafted as a starter in most leagues. Do we think that the volume days for Greg Olson are just sort of behind him? Uh, to some extent. I mean, you look at his usage over the past 16 games, right? It's been down. Uh, but he still posted a 44-catch, 482-yard, five-touchdown line during those 16 games, essentially a full season. That would have been tight end 14 last season, right? Yeah. So it's not what we're used to with him because the previous seven seasons, uh, or the previous five seasons, excuse me, he was uh, top seven in fantasy points every season. So it's a, it's definitely a, a bit of a step down. Obviously, he was fighting injuries during that span, but he is 34 now, and they have it's a different offense than it was a few years ago with guys like Moore and Samuel and McCaffrey. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the target share will be a little lower. Maybe he could flirt with tight end one numbers, but I'm... Uh, Late round, late round tight end. I still think point. he's going to be like this guy, this outlet for Cam in the end zone. But people forget that last year, in addition to the refracture of his foot, he had really bad plantar fasciitis. Like it hurts to walk across the floor. He was telling me when I was at camp how painful it was. He said, forget the fracture. That actually wasn't that bad after a couple of weeks, but his foot. And then when it ended up rupturing, that's when he finished his season in December. So, uh, He's not a guy who's going to run a lot or have a lot of burst. Or I, I think some of that has fallen off, but I still think he is that value for Cam in the red zone. So I would expect his touchdowns to go up a bit. I, I don't say this with a pejorative context, with a pejorative, pejorative context here. Just that that sort of sounds like what Jason Witten was for Dak Prescott last time right. we saw him, which has limited fantasy value, but might during right. bye weeks. Huge value being on the field for the Carolina Panthers, sure, yeah. but fantasy value down for us. All right, Stefania, why don't you tell us about ZipRecruiter before we close out the show with a couple of questions. I will. All right. Hiring used to be hard. Mm, so I've heard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a very confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 06010. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. You did it wrong. ZipRecruiter.com slash 06010. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 06010. ZipRecruiter.com slash 06010. We go to the arbiter. Daniel, what say you? Yeah. How do you tell me how you say it again? How much does it cost, Stefania? 
for free, except for I can't hear you because your little mic to me is not working. Oh, so sorry about you were that. Trying em- to- you got to put the emphasis on free. For free. For free. No, that's his. I'm not going to steal his way of doing things. Now, Matthew Barry made a career out of stealing people's thunder. I Are you calling me Matthew Barry? I don't Would you take that personally? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We laugh. I might not be Love back you. tomorrow. Matthew might. Well, Matthew is not back tomorrow. Uh, Matthew is back no, tomorrow. None of us are t- here. We're on a TV we're show not tomorrow. Here. Right, tomorrow. We're on a TV we're on show. TV. The bright lights come out, and all of a sudden, Matthew goes uh. on the little, you know, the small screen. He's in. All right. Before we wrap up the show, Keith has some questions for us. What do you got, Keith? Justin wants to know news or noise on the Chiefs potentially going with a committee backfield this season. I think we had a little bit of this conversation last week. You know, I still feel so. Andy Reid did say on Friday, I believe it was, that he's willing to go with a bit more of a committee. Um, I'm still drafting Damian Williams with the clear-cut starter, personally. I think he would be the first running back I would take in Kansas City, but I'm not taking him in round two or three. I mean, that is crazy early. down for a, your rankings. Yeah, he's never had more than 50 carries or 23 receptions. A little bit of a hamstring a issue to start exactly. camp. Don't like that. Also, we like Carlos Hyde, right? Yeah, well. Former 49er. Former Brown. Wore my <laughs> Bless Him shirt today. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. Um, uh, Keith, what else you got for us? Yeah, uh... The next one here is um, the blind eye wants to know if you load up on running backs early, who is the wide receiver lowest down your ranks that you feel comfortable with as your wide receiver one? Essentially, you know, what's your cutoff point? Wide receiver one. So uh, I'd imagine you're going to be talking about players somewhere in the the tier of like 13 to 18, which would be the guys that are in the vein of Julian Edelman, maybe the two Vikings Mm -hmm. wide receivers, perhaps Mm -hmm. one of the Rams top wide receivers, Robert Robert Woods Woods. or Brandon Cooks. Maybe, maybe if you're super optimistic on him, Kenny Galladay, like Daniel is. Um, I'm definitely cutting off before Alshon. Yeah, I'd say ahead of Alshon, the volume's too low. I would think maybe uh, my cutoff would be somewhere around Brandon Cooks. Yeah, I like Cooks. I think Thielen makes a lot of sense there. Diggs was 10th last year. I love the Edelman name for sure. Would not shock me at all if he finished top 10 if he's healthy. But the guy I I like, if I go running back, running back, the guy I'm really looking for in three is Mari Cooper. I think he's going to have a tremendous season with Dak Prescott in Dallas this season. So I like that call at all. He was was, uh, getting you wide receiver one numbers last season once uh, he settled in with the Cowboys. A little inconsistent. We talked about on the double trouble last week, but Amari Cooper talent is certainly there. He helps the money. And you get a full season. He's had a full training camp like that. Keith? Yeah, next one comes from Mike. Who who scores the... Not Mike Clay, though. (laughs) We are looking for an answer from Mike, though, if you can get that. Um, Who scores most touchdowns this season? Mark Ingram, David Montgomery, or Marlon Mack? Marlon Mack is not close. Most touchdowns? Who is it? Mack? Mack, Montgomery, and Ingram. Ingram. Yeah, it's Mack for sure. Yeah, Yeah, he had had 10 10 last year. 10 last season, yeah. I'm nervous about both David Montgomery and Mark Ingram. Like, And I say nervous, I mean like... Yeah, would it stun me if by the midseason, like Justice Hill is getting some run for the Ravens? No, wouldn't stun me. Yep. And David Montgomery, I like him. It's fun to watch. He has been really good. I remind people, like, Mike Davis is a useful player. Tariq Cohen had 80-plus catches last year. Like, David Montgomery is he's going to have to be leaps and bounds better than them to have a dominant workload. Anything got else, it? Keith? One more? Yeah, i got a couple more. Okay. Here, um, Here we go. Nika is picking ninth. And in a snake draft, 10-teamer, Okay, mm-hmm. from that slot, would you be targeting wide receiver, wide receiver start, or running back, wide receiver start? Oh, boy. Ooh. Daniel is going to raise his hand to object. I'm going to weigh in here really quickly because I just did a video with Golik Jr. Uh, last week where we talked about draft strategy for snakes. And I go through and do a number of mock drafts with both of those strategies just to see how they play out because I think mock drafting is so important when you're looking at the 
If I go running back, running back, what are my wide receivers going to look like? If yeah. I go wide receiver, wide receiver, what are my running backs going to look like? And then I kind of compare all the teams and say, it looks like this strategy gave me the team I'm most comfortable with when I go through and do that. So what'd you find? So what'd you find? Yeah. I found that I really enjoy going running back, running back, yeah. because I think the wide receiver is a deep enough position in a PPR league that you can fill in some guys, and I feel confident with these top tier running backs for my first two picks. You know, typical Ooh. caveats apply, right? Depending yeah. on how the board has gone up to of that course. pick nine. Of course. But speaking generally, I am not leaving the first two rounds without at least one stud running back. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I yeah, depending yeah. how the wide receivers look at that ninth spot, I might take the wide receiver first and pick up the running back second. Yeah. But plus I f- kind of found a soft spot in that round three to four territory for running backs. I really like Josh Jacobs. You have Henry mm-hmm. in there, Freeman, Fournette, carry on Johnson's in that conversation now. So I don't mind going receiver running back there and then coming around and hopefully get one of yep. those guys. Great. All right. One more to bring us home, Keith. Yeah. Another strategy question from Cindy. She wants to know, how would you adjust your draft strategy for a 16 team league as opposed to the 10 or 12 team? A couple <laughs> of things here is I just make sure that uh, when you're playing a 16 team league, you emphasize some of the spots a little bit earlier than you normally do. Right. So like tight ends and quarterbacks took a bit more of a premium in 16-team leagues, just maybe especially tight ends because I think there are maybe 18 to 20 reasonable starting quarterbacks, but make sure you're you're not Make sure you're not the caboose on the quarterback run in a 16-team league. Yeah, I'd really, I, I, especially tight end, I would be attacking that tier we talked about before with Ingram, Howard, Henry, Cook, those sort of guys. Uh, I think you could wait a little longer on receiver and attack running back and uh, quarterback. I still wait. I'd still wait there. Not yeah. till not till the very end, but I would wait. I would still be okay waiting a while. All right, there we go. Agreed. Every day, remember, answer these, ask these questions on the Twitter live stream, YouTube live stream, go to the ESPN app, send Kyle mail, whatever, do whatever you want. <laughs> Find a way to reach out to us. Before we get out, reminder, tonight, 6 p.m., Fantasy Football Marathon, ESPN, on for 28 straight hours. But tomorrow, Tuesday, August 13th, we are on at 5 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN 2. It's pretty much like as good as ESPN, just twice as good. ESPN <laughs> 2. Get it? We'll be there. Mike uh, will not be there, but I said Matthew will be back. Mike will be on the Daily Wager and all over your airwaves during the Fantasy Football I'm Marathon. Daily Wager today. Stefania will be on too? OTL yeah. and Daily Wager and the Fantasy Football Marathon. She's got her own podcast coming out. It's called <laughs> The Life of the Bells. I, the Bell of the Ball. Whatever. Daniel will probably be on it too. Dan's getting a tattoo on live TV this year. Is that true? Am I making? That I up? already did it last year. We'll see okay. if I do it yeah, again this year. Yeah, you're not opposed to doing it again. again this year. In the meantime, as a reminder, a few tickets left. Maybe not by the time you guys are listening to this. But if you want to get lucky, go to TicketHub.com. <laughs> Look for New York City <laughs> live shows. TicketWeb.com. TicketWeb.com. I'm crappy at my job. Let's see if we're back tomorrow. I might be. Peace out. You're in the 06010 Today's horoscope brought to you by GEICO. Gemini, you may find yourself struggling with alertness today. That's because you stayed up last night celebrating the hundreds of dollars a year you could save by switching to GEICO. Your struggle will continue well into the afternoon during Philip's status meeting, in which you'll say, No, Philip, I wasn't snoring. I have severe seasonal allergies. Your presentation was riveting. Well played, Gemini. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.